get up and get out. Get rid of that frown that's been dragging you down and get up in the air. Just pretend that you can fly. You'll never know if you can till you try. Hi, and welcome to Cannabis Helps Dementia. I'm Chella. I'm Dave. And right up front, we'd like to say that we're not doctors or medical professionals, and nothing you hear in this podcast should be considered medical advice. Right. We're not experts. But throughout this podcast series, you'll hear from doctors, nurses, research scientists, administrators, other caregivers, and people living with dementia about how cannabis helps. Like it did for our family. That's right. After my mom was diagnosed with dementia, we were thrust into family caregiving and became fierce advocates for people living with dementia. Including their access to cannabis medicine. We first met Dr. Janester Wilson-King through the Society of Cannabis Clinicians, where she's the co-vice president. I had recently become an advocate member of the SEC, a nonprofit that works to empower and educate healthcare providers on the use of cannabis medicine. Dr. Wilson King was presenting on cannabis medicine, pregnancy, and breastfeeding, which, as you know, is not our area of focus, but her presentation was incredibly compelling and opened our eyes to new things. Later, we connected in person at CanMed 2019. Dr. Janister Wilson King, MD, is a board-certified obstetrician and gynecologist with over 25 years of clinical experience providing compassionate and research-driven care to patients. After years of working as a full-service OBGYN, she founded Victory Rejuvenation Center, a private, holistic, and preventative medicine practice that provides life-transforming management modalities and customized medicines to patients. As the medical director of VRC, Dr. Wilson King helps her patients age gracefully and achieve holistic well-being. Her expertise focuses on plant-based medicine, integrated health, nutrition, supplements, cannabis education, and hormone balance. Dr. Wilson King primarily uses FDA-approved compounded plant-based medicines and pharmaceutical-grade supplements. Dr. Wilson King is a clinician, advocate, and educator on medical cannabis. She has spent extensive time in processing facilities, labs, farms, and dispensaries across the country and in Israel. In addition to being co-vice president of the Society of Cannabis Clinicians, she is also on the board of the Doctors for Cannabis Regulation, the first and only National Physicians Association dedicated to the legalization and regulation of cannabis for adults. Advancing the DFCR's commitment to addressing the disproportionate criminalization of cannabis use among communities of color and the nation's poor, she regularly provides expert opinions for legal cases involving cannabis. Dr. Janester Wilson-King, welcome to the Cannabis Helps Dementia podcast. Thank you. It is really an honor and a pleasure to be here. And this invitation has been a long time uh, in development. And I'm yes. so glad that we finally got here. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Thank you so much. Indeed. I, I, I love the work that the two of you are doing. I really, really do. It's so important and so impactful. Thank you. Oh. Thank you, really. Well, well, we're certainly we've certainly been fans and uh, followers of your work since we uh, learned about you in 2019, um, and of course of the Society of Cannabis Clinicians. And uh, the underlying theme of our podcast is, of course, that cannabis helps dementia because that's our experience as family caregivers with Chella's mom and how impactful it was on her. But um, it also is, you know, it's. It's a, it's a complicated plant. Dementia is a complicated illness. There are many factors that contribute to um, what causes dementia. Some say there's upwards of, um, you know, well, you can't even really put a number on it, maybe 40 different uh, ways to get it uh, or, you know, affect it. Um, and um, your practice is a holistic, whole body, whole spirit practice. Um, and um, including cannabis medicine, um, but uh, especially for women, which of course we know that dementia uh, affects women more so than men. Um, it's, so in your experience um, with women during menopause, how can cannabis help uh, and to limit the risks of getting dementia uh, during that period of time and for women in general as they age? Well, that's a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> we, we do those let's, often. Let's kind of get a little started on that. I'm going to start with some basic information and then kind of talk to you a little bit about it. But um, if we look at hormones and, and the hormones I'm going to focus on are estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. Both estrogen and testosterone are in men and women. Progesterone is only in women. 
Um, we have to first divide the effects of the hormones into organizational effects and activational effects. The organizational effects, which we're not gonna talk about today, is the long lasting and permanent roles of hormones um, in sex differentiation and development. That's when the embryo is forming and then you determine what sex is gonna be and then the hormones do all their work and actions there. The activational effects are really the more, that's what we're gonna focus on. Those are the more transient actions of sex hormones in menstrual cycling, stimulation of breast cells and uterine cells and in the production of testosterone in men in terms of how much and, and, and uh, the aging and, and things like that. Now, it's the loss of the activational effects of the hormones that occur as a consequence of normal aging and this is what's thought to contribute to the spectrum of, uh, how should I say, senescent changes that underlie the, it, their role in the aging process and then actually the pathogenesis of Alzheimer's disease. Mm -hmm. Now, estrogens and androgens directly regulate beta amyloid accumulation, which is a critical factor in Alzheimer's disease pathogenesis. Mm -hmm. uh, estrogens, progesterones, and androgens really have a wide range of activational effects in the brain that increase neural health and resistance to Alzheimer's. And one of them I just said, it was the uh, regulating the beta amyloid accumulation. Also, sex, uh, these hormones inhibit a, a couple of other key components of Alzheimer's pathology, and that's the tau phosphorylation and glial activation. And those are fancy words for the, some of the activity that goes on when tau starts to accumulate in the brain, et cetera. But hormones provide a protective action of that, and the hormones act to increase, in general, brain function and its resilience to the damage that can be caused by these things happening. Mm -hmm. Also our hormones independently and interactively, so they work together and they work independently on neurons and glia to regulate learning and memory mm -hmm. and neuroplasticity. I always get tongue tied when I say that word, mm -hmm. but what that is is the ability of the brain to form and reorganize synaptic connections, especially in response to uh, learning or experience or after injury. So one of the things that, that and, and finally uh, estrogen and, and progesterone help to regulate neuron or help neuron survival. Now, I've talked a lot about estrogen and progesterone. Androgens are involved too, so I don't wanna leave the men out. Uh, androgens also promote aspects of cognition, neuroprotection, and plasticity as well. So there's a lot of um, things that are going on so that when women go into the menopause transition, the loss of the cyclic fluctuations in hormones really affects the interactions between estrogen and progesterone and their effects on the regulation of these of the neurons and, and the things I just spoke about. And there's been some animal studies that actually have looked at that and, and has shown that the um, protective actions of 17 beta estradiol can be attenuated by continuous co-treatment with progesterone. So what that shows is that you need both hormones for things, for things to be optimal. And that when you lose one or the other, as what happens in menopause, now the menopause tr transition consists of perimenopause, then menopause, and then postmenopause. So during perimenopause, you really do lose progesterone a lot early earlier in the process. By the age of 50, women have lost 70% of their mm. progesterone, whereas estrogen, you've only lost about 30% by the time you're 50 years old. So mm -hmm. that's really um, 
that's important. So the it's kind of that it's that gap that really is actually causing a lot of the problem, right? Exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. And thank you for saying that. That's that's very very true. So um, the neural structures in the brain that control these functions are affected by the menopause transition because they have estrogen receptors all throughout uh, the brain. You have it in the mitochondria, the membranes, the nucleus, the hypothalamus, the amygdala, the hippocampus. The estrogen receptors are all over the place. So yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot to, that goes on there. So but that also that also sort of on on its surface explains why women would would you know, suffer from dementia more than men is because they're that that of that control of the that buildup uh, of tau and and beta amyloid uh, is affected so much by the hormones and that gap that uh, is causing the problem. Absolutely, absolutely. Hormones affect the brain, the metabolism, your immune system, your microbiome, your stress response. Just like the endocannabinoid system. <laughs> exactly, just like the endocannabinoid. And that's why you can't isolate one system from another. That's why they all interact in all sorts of different ways. So we can't, you can't just focus in on, say, the kidney, for example, and ignore the rest of the body, ignore the heart, the lungs, the, the abdominal contents, abdominal organs, liver, intestines, pancreas. You can't. There's, mm -hmm. there's, here's an example of a condition, and it's a little off topic, but it just illustrates how uh, everything interacts. There's a condition called polycystic ovary disease. Mm -hmm. And it's a condition in women in which they don't ovulate on a regular basis and, and they have um, uh, problems handling glucose metabolism. Mm -hmm. They're increased risk for becoming diabetic and then a high blood pressure, weight gain, et cetera. Well, it's really not an ovary problem. It's mm -hmm. a pancreas problem. <laughs> the pancreas has, is, is producing dysfunctional um, uh, insulin or the insulin that it produced, the cells aren't responding to insulin. You have insulin resistance and that leads to the impact on the menstrual cycle and, and things like that. So really it's called polycystic ovary disease, but it's really a disease of the pancreas and not mm -hmm. many people know that. We mm -hmm. often, uh, physicians often, uh, they tend to treat it from the perspective of the ovary instead of the pancreas, which is where the source of the problem is. Well, insulin resistance is also a topic that is not generally accepted. You know that we that we found. You know, it's it's definitely the problem for so many things. Yes. Uh, but our including standard American Alzheimer's. diet, including Alzheimer's, yeah, that's exactly right. Mm -hmm. It is. Yes, definitely. So, yeah. um, let's what see. would one what would one do to help one's insulin resistance? Oh, there's, there's many things you can do. Uh, mm -hmm. Lifestyle is key. That's mm -hmm. really the starting point. Mm -hmm. uh, your nutrition, you don't want to eat foods or ingest things that will stimulate a rapid increase in your blood sugar level. Mm -hmm. And those foods are? Those foods are, we're call, I would call them low glycemic index foods. You want, you want real food. Okay, you want to eat the whole food rather than apple juice, you want to eat the apple. Rather than orange juice, you want to eat the orange because eating the food in its natural form, it's, it's made in such a way that it doesn't, it's physiologically absorbable without causing problems. But juicing, for example, drinking the juice, you don't have the pulp and the, the the fiber that the orange provides uh, that you get by eating the orange, you mm -hmm. just get the juice. So it goes right straight to mm -hmm. hyperglycemia. Mm -hmm. And then your body secretes insulin. And the reason it secretes insulin is not so much because the sugar is a problem in the body, but you don't want that sugar change to affect the brain. So the insulin mm -hmm. is to get the sugar level down before it gets to the brain and causes some problems. The brain is very sensitive when it comes to changing the level uh, levels of glucose, particularly in a rapid way. 
-hmm. So that's really, really important. I think Chella's trying to get you to say the S word, stay away from sugar. Yes, because added sugar, is. fruit, you know, fruit juices, yeah. of course, fructose, so concentrated, but added sugar in our diets are so ridiculous. Everything has sugar in that. it. That's exactly right. And I'll yeah. tell you the best sugar, even sugar substitutes are not good. And I, honey is very natural, but you can't eat a lot of honey because that's going to send your blood sugar level up really, really high. So what I recommend to my patients is monk fruit. Yes. It's sweetened. <laughs> It doesn't leave an aftertaste and it doesn't raise your blood sugar. At right all, it doesn't, it's, yeah, it doesn't affect your blood sugar at all. It's very interesting uh, how that works. Exactly right. And so. also it doesn't disturb the microbiome in the stomach. Ah. People, a lot of people talk about stevia, but mm. stevia, yes, it's a plant sugar and it's, it's, it's probably, it's more likely, it's more meant to be consumed with the whole plant as opposed to just isolating stevia and pouring those packets in your tea or coffee or however you use it. That disrupts the microbiome uh -huh. and over time can cause a problem as well. So we have to, we have to be careful about how we change the forms of things because it's in, in, into an unnatural form, uh -huh. you know? Right. Mm -hmm. And totally. the microbiome so so huge and important in everything it too. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. After reading Dr. Dale Bredesen's book, Dave and I have started practicing intermittent fasting and a veggie-based whole food keto diet. So we're fans of monk fruit as well. Wonderful. That's that's really, really the healthiest stuff. Once you get off the sugar, um, you know, those bacteria in your gut that are just craving that sugar all the time, once you can get past that, it, which is tough for a lot of people, um, you know, including you're, you're, us. you're, yeah, including us, but you're very satiated and you don't, you're not, you don't, you don't, you don't have that hunger and your body, you know, works better. It seems. It's very true. Very true. You don't crave like you used to, you know, we talk mm -hmm. about cravings during PMS and whatnot. If we eat properly, if mm -hmm. we eat real whole food, Mm -hmm. and do intermittent fasting, et cetera. You don't have, you won't have those cravings. It's easy enough to eliminate those cravings. The, one of um, my favorite sayings is we are a spirit that has a soul that lives in a body. And in mm -hmm. order to be well, you need to nourish and nurture all three on a daily mm -hmm. basis. Mm -hmm. It's just so true. So and, true. you know, we, unfortunately in medical school, we aren't taught nutrition. We aren't taught, of course, we're not taught about the endocannabinoid system, <laughs> but we aren't taught that we're taught from the perspective of science and science only, and we've lost the art of medicine. Mm -hmm. And the art is really what distinguishes the practice of medicine from other uh, services and modalities. It really, there's an art to it. You're looking at a person, a whole person, not just the, the, the chronic kidney disease. Mm -hmm. There's a person with those kidneys <laughs> <laughs> that has, has a life, yeah. has children, has significant others, has things that has a profession, has mm -hmm. things to do. So you can't really just look at the disease and totally ignore the person. Absolutely. It just doesn't make sense. No, it really doesn't. doesn't. And I had to teach oh. myself nutrition, mm -hmm. lifestyle, mm -hmm. behavior, modification. I had to do all of that research on my own. Not to mention the, cannabis. That's right. <laughs> and cannabis. And we didn't even get six months of nutrition in medical school. Right. I got four weeks of nutrition in all four years of medical school, which is absolutely ridiculous. That's Nuts. criminal. And in other yeah. Stuff. I consider it malpractice if my yes. doctor doesn't know about food. We eat food all the time. It's really exactly, important. Exactly. And also what, what the other things you do with your body, the, 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 whatever you drink, whatever you do, you move. We're not meant to sit down all day, every day. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We're not meant to do that at all. Mm -hmm. And we're also, we are also spiritual beings and you need to nourish your spirit and learn how to listen to what your spirit tells you so you can get all those, those ridiculous thoughts out of your head. 
Yes. <laughs> Who is that person? Who is that person that's talking like that? I don't understand. It's terrible. And if you look at your soul, your soul is really your mind, your will, and your emotions. So let's nourish the mind with positive things, mm -hmm. positive uh, uh, words, positive behavior, uh, positive attitudes. <laughs> Mindfulness <laughs> practices, meditation. Yes, yes. 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 And Absolutely. you know, the old saying, treating people how you wanna be treated. Let's, mm. let's, let's think about that. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is, you know, you need to laugh every day. Mm -hmm. Gotta find something to laugh at. Mm -hmm. uh, my patient age range is between 40 and 70 with my youngest patient actually being 21, mm -hmm. my oldest patient being 85. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the three main outcomes of using cannabis in those patients or it helps them sleep, it helps relieve pain and depression and anxiety. Those are the mm -hmm. biggest three wow. that I find with cannabis use in my elderly patients. And, and sleep, oh my gosh, sleep is so huge. There's 40, probably 45%, I think that's the last number I read of the general population has insufficient sleep. And mm -hmm. we, we know that sleep is strongly or insufficient sleep is strongly associated with um, higher rates of chronic illness, like obesity, diabetes, hypertension. But there's Alzheimer's also been disease. a recent study <laughs> in that dementia, mm -hmm. uh, people who slept six hours or less per mm -hmm. night in their 50s and 60s were more likely to develop dementia later uh -oh. in life. We're screwed. <laughs> We're, we are screwed as, a, as America as a society is done. No wonder you're seeing the rates of dementia increase ridiculously. There's, I don't think there's so few people that get a full eight hours sleep or more than six hours sleep. I was just going to say in regard to depression and anxiety, um, that is one of the hallmarks of the men perimenopause and menopause transition as well. And mm -hmm. I find that, that the patients, my female patients that, are have higher levels of anxiety do really well with cannabis they do well with hormones but they still need a little extra and using cannabis is really effective particularly the cbd you know is an effective anxiolytic and mood stabilizer and uh, it it actually doesn't work as an agonist at the cb1 receptor like thc but it's an agonist at the serotonin receptor. Mm. So it will facilitate your body's increase in serotonin levels, uh, which that's what antidepressants do by interrupting some of the physiologic processes. But see, cannabis does it in a very natural way. So you don't disrupt any physiologic process and therefore you get your serotonin levels increased naturally or wow. physiologically is really a better word to use for that. Mm -hmm. And there aren't the side effects that you experience with the pharmaceuticals. It also inhibits FA, which is uh, an enzyme in our body, part of our endocannabinoid system. And FA breaks down anandamide. Anandamide is responsible for that wonderful blissful feeling. So you can have that hanging around in your body longer than you would without it. So CBD helps that. CBD also has activity in the emotional processing and memory and cognitive processes of the brain. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, it, it's very helpful. And I don't want to leave THC out because I'm not a fan of separating out the plant like that. Mm -hmm. THC is, has been demonized too much and THC is very medicinally beneficial mm -hmm. and it acts just like anandamide, which is what your body makes. And it has well-known effects in the brain, like stopping those intrusive memories and that constant fight or flight state stress that we find. And that's because THC acts in the amygdala. Mm -hmm. THC also can increase uh, serotonin via the prefrontal cortex, and it improves mood and memory while decreasing fight or flight and does that via the hippocampus. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot that cannabis can do to help 
the areas of our brain, help depression and anxiety. And that's what I see in helping a lot in my senior patients. Uh, but it's it's really, I've really seen I've seen a lot happen with uh, with the addition of cannabis as a tool in my as part of my tool chest right. of yeah. things that I yeah. do to help patients. Now I've heard that you need estrogen to really receive benefits from THC. What's going on there? What's going on there is that estrogen actually regulates the body's response to THC. And it's something that I have found in dealing with my, I say very senior postmenopausal patients. If they aren't on hormones, they tend to have more of a resistance to the effects of cannabis and may need uh, different and need different tactics, different combinations of things uh, in order to help them. Uh, the CBD whole plant products are very effective in uh, my older patients, but for women, um, women, First of all, the female reproductive organs are the second, contain the second highest amount of cannabinoid receptors, second only to the brain. Mm -hmm. And as we go through menopause and estrogen levels decrease, our cannabinoid receptors in the brain increase. Ah. So there's an inverse relationship. The more estrogen you have around, the less, the fewer the receptors and estrogen modulates that. When you don't have estrogen around, the receptors in the brain increase. And then it, 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 it depends on the patient in terms of how they respond to cannabis. And you really have to watch that in postmenopausal women mm. who are on hormones or who aren't on hormones. They act differently at times. And sometimes the difference is very subtle. You may require different combinations of things. When I talk to my patients about their cannabis and what products to purchase, I look at, I give them a list of cannabinoids they want, that they want to look for that are in their products and a list of the terpenes too. We can't leave the terpenes out so that they can, I try to arm them with information such that they can go anywhere in the country mm-hmm. that has uh, dispensaries and find the, the cannabis type chemovar that they want. Mm-hmm. Meaning I don't say granddaddy purple. Right, or right, right. Because that is different in each state and it's right. absolute combinations. So I try to arm them with, okay, you want to make sure you have CBD, CBDA or CBG, you know, and, and say what terpenes, myrcene, if you're talking about calming, maybe pining, if you're talking about some stimulation, you know, things like that. It's, mm-hmm. it's that I find is, is more helpful to patients so that they can go anywhere and get yeah. what they need. Yeah, that's so important. That's brilliant, you know, actually. Your, your dispensary may run out of the thing that you normally get. So you got to be able to figure out for yourself what might be another option. Whereas- <laughs> You know, in the 1800s, the apothecary could create something for you, right? That's right. That's right. Oh, that's what I really long to see. I long to see when the compounding pharmacies, because I use a lot of compounded uh, medicines, including hormones, and I wanted, oh, we could do so much in a compounding pharmacy with cannabis and comp, different combinations of things, different forms. Yes. Uh, it's, yeah, I, I really look forward to that. And right now they, you know, the pharmacies, uh, because it's uh, cannabis is federally, federally illegal, can't do too much. Maybe right. with CBD, they can sell CBD products, but they can't do anything with THC. That's essentially what a lot of the brands are doing is they're, you know, they are because of the technology with this ability to pull out all the different cannabinoids, separate them and then remix them together. Uh, their people are finding the formulas that are, are beneficial and um, putting them back together. So in yeah. some respects, that's good. But right. in, you know, in other respects, you know, you don't you don't want to be using isolates necessarily, you want to use whole plant sources. Um, so it's a mixed bag, you know, True, it really is. And you know, it's, it's, it's like, 
it's like in the field of hormones and I hate, hate to keep bringing it up, but that is part of what I do. Hormones um, is, is like foundational. It's true, true. <laughs> and then the hormone capacity, we, we have your FDA approved pharmaceutical medica medications. We have your compounded medications that are made more uh, to be customized for the patient. And you have people that are in both camps. That, that they only want the compounded hormones or they, they only uh, want the FDA uh, the pharmaceutical because even the, the hormones in the compounded formulas are FDA approved because you're using FDA approved ingredients. You're mm -hmm. just changing it so that it's a better mode of administration or route of administration for the patient mm -hmm. uh, using a cream instead of a patch or using a sublingual instead of a capsule things like that. That's what the compounding pharmacy does. Mm -hmm. And, and it, so you have both camps. And I think with cannabis, you can have both camps. Mm -hmm. uh, sure, there's going to be the isolates, because if you have a person who has a seizure disorder, and they need high doses of CBD, it's really expensive in the whole plant form. So mm -hmm. if the isolate can be effective, you, they can use the isolate to help to control their seizures or certainly even eliminate their seizures. So there's a place for the isolates. I don't think that's a routine route to, to go, but certainly there's a place for it, mm -hmm. for the, the isolates that is. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, speaking of routine, um, do you think one day cannabis might be considered a vitamin? Oh, I would love for that to happen. You I'd know? love to be able to, go outside and pick a few cannabis leaves uh -huh. to put in my smoothie every yes. morning. <laughs> yes. The acid form. We haven't even talked about the acid form. Yeah, the acid, raw plant. the acids um, are just wonderful. Oh my goodness. They're just, uh, they're much more bioavailable. Uh, they're, they're, the effectiveness is as good, if not better than the decarboxylated forms. I love the, the acids. Uh, there's a combination uh, CBD, CBDA capsule that's really helpful. Or you can even put do CBD, CBDA, and CBG in a capsule. Mm. Uh, there. I don't know if we're supposed to mention names or not, but sure, of course you can. Dustin's what do you like? Products, yeah, absolutely. Dustin's We've had them on. Yes, Dustin's Sulek's products are just mm -hmm. golden. I think so too. When it comes 100%. to when it comes to those types of combinations, mm -hmm. I just ah. Uh, yeah. Well, it's it's, it's definitely it's standard. leading edge. It's leading yeah. edge, and you need to you need to know good sources for CBD because there are so many that aren't. That's uh, exactly correct. Yeah. So Healer's products are always a good choice. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I like the, the CBD, CBDA, THC, THCA product. Yes. I love that. Oh my goodness. And it's, it's non-impairing, right? You can get your, your medicine, get those, all those groups and whatnot. And of course mm -hmm. there's terpenes in it too. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's, it's just golden. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Of course, the only people who can benefit from those, uh, that particular product are the states where he sells the THC products, which I think is only in Maine and Maryland right Maryland. now. Right, right. Um, but boy, do I, I think that's a really, really brilliant formulation. Uh, It'd be great if it was available in a vitamin form for all people to take every day, like a multivitamin. In my exactly. Yeah. See, there's a one, actually, in fact, his module in the new SCC curriculum mm -hmm. is on how cannabis can be used for wellness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, and it's a really good module. Absolutely. Listen, all of those modules are worth their weight in gold. Yeah, they're, they're all really, really excellent. Excellent. Um, hey, uh, let me uh, ask you this. Uh, when we heard you speak about the multifactorial nature of women's health issues at the sequence panel, uh, the sequence pain panel, it sounded just like dementing illness issues. So that's, um, you know, really what inspired me to connect with you um, about this right now. And you said there that, quote, many women's health conditions have multifactorial components, including mood, anxiety, depression, 
pain, poor sleep, and or hormonal dysfunction, and the capacity of cannabis to act as an anti-inflammatory agent, a muscle relaxant, mood enhancer, sleep remedy, anxiety reliever, and pain reliever all at the same time makes it ideal for women's health conditions. And conventional treatment is mediocre at best and very temporary, just like with Alzheimer's disease. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. As I said, we women are built for cannabis since, especially since the female reproductive tract has the highest amount of cannabinoid receptors in it. We're built for it. And we talked about how it's effective for mood, depression, and anxiety. We talked about how it helps sleep. Mm-hmm. We talked about it. Well, we didn't talk about, but it certainly cannabis is very effective for pain. You have the National Academy of Science, Engineering, and Medicine report of 2017 that actually examined over 10,000 studies and found that there was significant evidence that cannabis and cannabinoids are effective for the relief of chronic pain in adults. Oh, that must be a flawed study. There's obviously something <laughs> wrong with that review article. There's definitely Clearly. problems with that study. <laughs> 10,000. It must be the sample size is too too small or something. It wasn't 20,000. You need at least 20,000. Right? But really, it was... um, But the FDA FDA can approve a a questionable new drug for Alzheimer's disease. No problem. Oh, yes. That they actually don't think it's going to work. It's like, well, we're not exactly sure if it works or not, and uh, but we're going to go ahead and prove it anyway at $36,000 a year. Isn't that really ridiculous? That's just yeah. the, the, the epitome of how bad the system is. Yeah. That is just great. There actually, I just think three or four people have resigned because the FDA is approving this. Really? And, you know, yeah. yeah, they left the board. They left the FDA because mm-hmm. they don't agree with this approval. It, yeah. it's, it's political. It's corrupt. And it's, it's corrupt. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, the fact that it's, I hate to say this, but the fact that it's political means that it's corrupt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you know, uh, Dr. Babak Baban's, totally, Dr. Babak Baban's uh, study out of uh, Augusta University that was released in March that showed high doses of CBD in the sickest uh, m- mouse model of Alzheimer's disease showed remarkable results. And it was completely killed, probably because of this thing that was coming down the line, in my opinion. Absolutely. Oh, without a doubt. I, I, yeah. That actually was going to be my next point. I think they're just really getting concerned that people are going to grasp on the cannabis too much. So they want to get some drugs out there that they can say, see, well, we have a drug that you can use too. And it's going up, they're going about it all wrong as usual. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, well, there's nothing. There is, you know, there's nothing. There was, there was nothing in the pipeline. There has been nothing in the pipeline for Alzheimer's uh, for years, um, and um, they just needed to have something. They, they needed to come up with something new uh, and novel that people will pay for, that insurance companies will pay for, and um, they literally ignore all of the science with regards to. Uh, how THC works better than anything currently on the market for clearing out amyloid beta, which, you know, that's, it's even questionable if, uh, you know, if this is even part of it now, we don't even know, you know, half the Alzheimer's brain don't have plaque buildup when they look at them. So, that's you know, right. and, right. and so we don't even know if this is where inflammation certainly is, is something that needs to be addressed, uh, which guess what else, guess what worked for that? So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's corruption. It's, you know, and on not just on cannabis, I mean, where you can, you know, this is, it's a, this is the tried and true, how to get, how to get big pharma uh, profits is you pay off the politicians. They ignore everything else. They only look at the studies that are fed to them and then, and then we have this, we have a drug that's $36,000, doesn't actually work, doesn't um, needs more studies to see if it works, but we're going to go ahead and approve it. Um, and then the side effects are not that good. Oh, brain brain bleeding, brain bleeding, brain yes. bleeding. Hello. Uh, guess what doesn't cause brain bleeding? Cannabis. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's, but you know, that's to try to talk to doctors who are not educated about cannabis at all, or the endocannabinoid system about THC or even CBD is really not easy, even in Northern California. Which I find absolutely 
mind boggling. You've been living around this for what, 25, 30 years now, and or almost 30 years, but, and you still don't know anything about cannabis? That all- Except that it's bad. It's the devil's lettuce. Right. That's all they know. But that's negligence. Here's a tool that probably most of your patients are using and you don't know anything about it. That's not a good yeah. practice. <laughs> yeah, it's not a good practice at all. And, no, and, and that's the thing, practice. Every we are using it. Everybody is using it. And whenever they legalize, they're, like, they're always amazed. It's like, wow, I didn't realize, or we didn't realize there was this many cannabis users in this state. Uh, uh, everybody, half the population is using it. They're not talking to their doctors because they're stigmatized. Um, th those that do, that do bring in, you know, the evidence that they're working with Dr. Sulak or they're, you know, and they say, hey, look, this is what's happening. Look at these studies. Look at this study. You know, then you maybe chip away at some of that ice, some of that AMA, uh, holier than now, I know better than you uh, sort of attitude. Of, there are lots of uh, healthcare organizations that don't allow their doctors to talk about it. Right. Kaiser <laughs> being one of them. The VA. VA being another one. Yeah. You know, you I've never told it. I've never told one of my motion picture doctors how I use cannabis. Never. Really? Because, yeah, no, me, never. Because when I have, many years ago, when I have, they reinforce the idea that I'm some kind of terrible drug addict because oh. I've lived with anxiety my whole life. <laughs> so they want to give me benzos and they're happy to give me Ativan. But, you know, benzodiazepines are another big risk factor for dementia yeah absolutely so, you Very know i'm true. not gonna i'm not gonna take a benzodiazepine to manage anxiety and no, um, you watched your mother go through alzheimer's why would you take something that increases your risk for it? you're already at increased risk because your mom had it why yeah. would you and my grandfather that? i mean sorry and my grandmother and my aunt yeah, no, <laughs> that's why I also guard my sleep and I eat really well and I intermittent fast and I don't drink alcohol. And, you know, I use cannabis in all of its different forms. Um, I am going to be, uh, you know, seeking out some um, hormone replacement as well, but I wanted to get my, my vegan veggie keto on and my intermittent fasting under control so I could see what my real levels are because I've noticed, um, I've done a little research recently and learned that if you went into menopause with adrenal fatigue, your experience might be even worse and might be even harder. So now I'm trying to increase, what do you think? Tell me. That is one of the, when estrogen levels decrease, cortisol levels increase, mm -hmm. but to the point that it's pathologic. And that's where the midsection weight gain of menopause comes from. Mm. I have plenty of patients that say, I never had a stomach mm. unless I was pregnant, but I never uh -huh. really had a stomach before until menopause, perimenopause and menopause. Mm. And that's because as the estrogen levels decrease, the cortisol increases and it will cause that midsection accumulation of fat, which mm -hmm predisposes you to other conditions such as diabetes, heart disease, mm -hmm. kidney disease, you name it, hypertension. It yeah. just leads to all of those types of things. So the, the whole point of taking care of yourself as you're doing really prevents some of those uh, changes in your body through the menopause transition that that you can actually come through healthy and you can remain healthy uh, hormones also protect us from cardiovascular disease mm -hmm. and then once the uh, hormones are are gone our risk women's risk for cardiovascular disease or a heart attack equals that of men mm -hmm. prior to menopause it is significantly less than that of men mm -hmm. uh, because estrogen does have a protective effect. Estrogen and progesterone have a protective effect and testosterone mm -hmm. uh, as far as our lipids are concerned. There, there are plenty of studies that show that hormone therapy will be protective of cardiovascular disease and things like that. Now there's, there's some nuances on that. That doesn't mean just go out and start taking hormones. There right. are certain routes of administration, certain 
forms of hormones that are more beneficial than others. And that's why you need somebody that's, that's versed in this, well-versed in this to really manage and help you through hormone therapy. And, and the one thing I always like to make sure I say when I'm talking about hormones, they do not, I repeat, they do not cause breast cancer. I was just going to ask you. So clarifying. <laughs> that study, yes. the Women's Health Initiative that came out in 2001 or 2002 mm-hmm. that said hormone therapy increases your risk for uh, blood clots, heart attacks, strokes, and breast cancer mm-hmm. used Premarin, which mm-hmm. is horse's estrogen, which is a hundred times more potent than human estrogen. Mm-hmm. And it uses progestin, which is a synthetic Mm. progesterone. And they called that, that was viewed as the gold standard of hormone therapy. Mm -hmm. And that combination is what led to those findings. Mm -hmm. Subsequent studies show that if you use bioidentical estrogen and progesterone, you do not have that risk at all. Mm-hmm. or very, very limited. Mm-hmm. So it's, I, I, I explain it like this. Well, the Pinto was a really bad car, okay? <laughs> Especially if you rear-ended it. Right. <laughs> they yeah. stopped making that car about a year or two after it was released. But that doesn't mean all cars are bad. Right. So the combination of Premer and Provera is a bad combination. But that doesn't mean all combinations of hormone therapy are bad. Right. That's how I try to explain that. Yeah. The average age of the women in that study were in their 60s. And we already know that if women start hormone therapy more than 10 years after menopause, mm-hmm. there's a difference mm-hmm. in, in, in your management. You have to manage that differently than you would had they started hormone therapy earlier. Mm-hmm. So some of the, there's some specific nuances that have to be taken into consideration when doing hormone therapy, but it can be done so safely and so wonderfully well. And believe me, it will change your life. Yes. Well, you know, everyone's health picture is different and everyone's dealing with different things. Absolutely. Uh, My family, it's brain issues. Mm -hmm. And we know for a fact that we need balanced hormones to maintain this. Mm -hmm. So for me and my family history, although my aunt did have breast cancer, mm-hmm. um, my mother had Alzheimer's disease mm-hmm. and um, her grandmother also, uh, and my father's grandmother also. So for me, I think it's worthwhile, especially because I intermittent fast and I maintain a healthy veggie-based keto diet. I think it's for me a really good idea to use bioidentical hormones because of what I'm looking out for in my health. But of course I would never do it on my own. I know right. that this is something I must, you know, have constant, you know, interaction with a excellent practitioner about because, you know, stuff changes. It does. Your body you know? changes, your life circumstances changes, your levels will change. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So you're going to have to make adjustments as we go. That's right. And similar to also- using cannabis. <laughs> exactly, exactly. There, there, the, the Cache County study that showed that hormone therapy, it looked at over 70,000 patients that, that um, took estrogen that were on hormone therapy mm-hmm. and showed that the uh, women who, had, who started hormone therapy within 10 years of menopause had a decreased risk of Alzheimer's as opposed to women who started outside of that window. Mm-hmm. Plus the fact that the women needed to be on the hormone therapy for 10 years, they, they actually showed an improvement in or a decrease, significant decrease, actually 75% in some cases, risk of Alzheimer's. Yeah, so, this makes absolute sense for me to be on this. I mean, I'm three or so, three years postmenopausal, only 50 years old, but three years postmenopausal. And, um, you know, now that I'm really focusing on, you know, my diet and getting as much as I can out of my own body, mm-hmm. uh, I think now's the time to start, you know, uh, 
getting that bioidentical replacement therapy yeah. going. You're doing wonderfully well because I'm sitting here looking at your skin. Oh, beautiful you. skin. Thank you. Yeah. I know you, you briefly touched on it a little, but do you find that women and men react differently to cannabis medicine, to CBD, to THC? You know, there, there are some biological differences where studies are mostly preclinical, meaning animal studies, mm -hmm. uh, mice usually in general, uh, that, that show that there are differences. It's really not studied as much, but yes, we know that estradiol regulates or modulates the women's response mm -hmm. to, can, to cannabis, to cannabinoids. Uh, we know that women can uh, develop cannabis use disorder, if you believe in such a thing, uh, faster than men, but also that women have more severe withdrawal effects from cannabis hmm. than men, and that there's more nausea and vomiting. There's more... Um, cannabis hyperemesis syndrome or... Yes. There, there are more, in, uh, that happens more of that, but it's important to note that when looking at these differences between large groups, like sex differences, you, we're looking at mainly the average across the two groups. There's gonna be a lot of people, a lot of individual men and women who don't fall into these categories. Hmm. Uh, but men and women generally have different motivations for using cannabis, mm -hmm. men, are more strongly influenced by external factors mm -hmm. such as cannabis availability and, and, and peer use. Whereas, and men also tend to have a strong cannabis using social network. Whereas women are more likely to use cannabis as a result of internal factors. They want assistance in coping with anxiety or relationship issues or stress and things like that. So there's different motivations for using cannabis um, between the two sexes. Now, it was thought at one time that, well, it, it was true at one time that men smoked cannabis more than women. Women tended to choose edibles more and, and, and men chose vaping or smoking more, but that's no longer true. Hmm. Uh, the study I did in, uh, published in 2020 where we looked at through various uh, dispensaries and uh, cannabis physician practices, women smoked just as much cannabis as men. In fact, in the month of March, 2020, women outspent men in <laughs> cannabis dispensaries. So I, if that were true Interesting. several years ago, it's not true now because women are doing a lot behaving a lot differently than they used to. Mm -hmm. Maybe because so, we find it so helpful. And, and exactly, we find <laughs> it helpful. It's also more accessible and it, yeah. there's also less stigma than there was. I'm not saying there's no stigma, but certainly right. it's less. Um, but still, even now, a large majority of women will hide their cannabis use or not share about it, or mm -hmm. even women will hide their e feelings of depression, anxiety, and fatigue, thinking there's mm -hmm. something wrong with them. Mm -hmm. So women, we're coming more and more into our own. And mm -hmm. I am women, I am here, hear me roar. So mm -hmm. we're, we're getting there, we're mm -hmm. getting there. Mm -hmm. uh, do you think that maybe cannabis use disorder might really just be related to ratio and concentration, that maybe the user isn't is finding relief from using cannabis but maybe hasn't been educated or dialed in to what might be the most helpful thing for them i totally agree with that and i think it's really because of using the concentrates the really wow. super high doses we you didn't hear about cannabis use disorder in the 60s and 70s we didn't do the concentrates like we do now hmm. um, and I think it, it's more attributable to people, as you said, who aren't being guided on their cannabis use. They're just going and buying things that yeah. people tell them to get and not really knowing what they're doing. And also 
when you if you use the concentrates long enough, you're real, you're going to have problems. I think a doc. If I told my motion picture doctors how and when I use cannabis, they might have said that I had cannabis use disorder. Now See, that's crazy. That's <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Well. I, I never used cons. This is way before. This is a long time ago. This is way before. And all we had available was smoking. And I knew I felt better when I smoked a little. And now I have CBD tincture to use. So I use that as my foundation and my floor. And I don't find that I need to smoke as much THC cannabis because I got my anxiety and stuff under control without being... Um, a little high, but sometimes I need to be a little high too. I'm not demonizing THC, you know, small yeah. amounts, you know, one milligram, two milligram, just help, you know? Psychoactivity of THC is therapeutic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It really is therapeutic. We'd be a much nicer and a kinder <laughs> people. <laughs> well, you know, I think it, that's I, why, I, that's why, go ahead. I'm sorry, I didn't realize I was in perimenopause when I was in perimenopause. Right. Because when I, I was young, I was very young. I was in my early 40s, um, mm -hmm. late 30s. And mm -hmm. um, when I did demand a hormone test, I was always in normal range. Like, I, and I couldn't understand that. And, and, and I got a five to two tincture, five CBD, two THC. And I didn't, have great expectations for this because I didn't know about CBD. I didn't understand all that stuff. This was, you mm -hmm. know, five years ago. And um, I tried it and I suddenly, I had a smile on my face mm -hmm. and I was just relieved. And it was revolutionary. And that's how I discovered that CBD is very beneficial. Um, I do need a little THC to manage all my things. But I'm not high. I'm not impaired. Right. Um, I'm just comfortable in my skin. Right. And you well, know, ahead, psychoactivity, psychoactivity and impairment are two different things. Right. You can have the psychoactive effects and not be impaired. You can function. Part of that is to, to help you to function. Yes. If you're impaired, sure, that interferes with your ability to function. Um, and, and, and not everybody wants that. So, right. But I to think there is a certain level of psychoactivity that is really helpful for minimal well-being. Minimal effective dose. And, minimal you know, on, with, and there are patients, there are people that suffer from autism or uh, other, other serious pain that are on very high doses of THC that are not impaired. They just right. function normally. Um, and so this, so there's a whole political movement, you know, obviously the plant has been political from the get-go, um, you know, and, and, and just on a side note that it, cannabis has been in every civilization and wherever there are humans have been, cannabis has been there because we found it, look, hey, look, it makes, the, it looks, it's, it's plant-based anandamide and it makes us feel better. So that's why it's always with civilization. But uh, these THC caps that they're trying to do in Florida, uh, they're even trying talking about it on a federal level. If they legalize doing caps, this is also politicians getting involved with doctors. You're now you're also a board member for the, uh, oh, the Doctors for Cannabis doctors Regulation. Cannabis regulation. That's right, um, which is a national organization uh, talking about legalization. Uh, so I want to talk about that briefly. We know that the war on drugs has uh, affected uh, people of color um, dramatically, of course. And mm -hmm. uh, this is also part of, uh, of Alzheimer's as well. People of color are affected. But the war on drugs has, has disproportionately affected uh, people of color. We're talking about now it's, it's back at the forefront. The MORE Act has been reintroduced serious problems with the more act each actually in its current form with regards to who is getting who is getting the benefit of of expungement and and things like that that's a deeper subject but where are you on legalization do we need to deschedule this plant so that research so that uh that we don't we're not locking people up again where are you as far as uh legalization goes the war on drugs has been a dismal failure and i've for at least 30 years, actually more than 30 years, because I keep forgetting how old I am. But <laughs> <laughs> I've always been a proponent of we should legalize all drugs. Yes. And 
just uh, the, the country of uh, Portugal is a prime example of legalizing all drugs, give people a space and a clean way to, to use their drugs, offer them education, offer them rehabilitation if there is a, an abuse problem, but, you, we, but don't criminalize them. Criminalizing people who use drugs is counterproductive to the development of a healthy society. Mm -hmm. the, the, the Doctors for Cannabis Re Regulation promotes public education, research, and advocacy to support legislative changes that are necessary to improve public health, social justice, and consumer protections. We are not for THC caps. Mm -hmm. We are not for uh, uh, continuing this, this, this criminalization of people using drugs. We want it to be, uh, we want it to be made, have everyone have access to it. All adults have access to it and educate people. Have these massive education programs and the, the, the uh, spaces where provide clean needles for people. So people, we don't increase HIV or any other hepatitis and all mm -hmm. the other diseases associated with using dirty needles. Mm -hmm. Find the way, we, we are adults and adults can make their own choices. Mm -hmm. And the government is, is, is not to, should not interfere with that as long as you're not harming other people. And as long as we can provide help for those who want it and provide education for all and stop putting people in jail, we can have a much healthier society. And that may sound, I don't think it's its radical, but when I first said it mm -hmm. back in 1990 or late 80s, somewhere in there, I, the people, I was at a party <laughs> and, and said that. And it was like, remember those commercials when EF couldn't speak? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what happened when I said that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like everybody got quiet and kind of looked I'm like oh my did I say something wrong <laughs> what was that <laughs> but I've say been it louder <laughs> <laughs> I've been a proponent of that for years and I definitely I think it should be descheduled I don't even think it should be rescheduled it should be descheduled well rescheduling just opens up a whole different can of worms that's uh, right on so many different levels uh that basically yeah. just limits that limits be even more uh mm -hmm. essentially because uh but and and also now we're also, we're seeing movement on psychedelics like never before yes. like like never before even faster than cannabis at this point it, it is seems like psychedelics kind of came in like they were left behind when cannabis took over the scene but psychedelics are now they're like taking the lead yeah <laughs> in the past couple of years i mean it's amazing only and for decriminalization too, I mean, it's never been a big issue with people really getting locked up for psychedelics, but, um, but you know, just in towns and I mean, in California, we've it just passed the Senate to decriminalize all psychedelics and it Amazing. might actually get signed by the governor. So it's nuts. It's, it's, I'm, I'm blown away that, that this and, <laughs> and, but cannabis needs, needs to catch up. I mean, these, uh, we've got an administration now that wants, that wants novel therapies, breakthrough therapies for Alzheimer's <laughs> and for can and for cancer. Guess and what? And diabetes. Guess what is uh, on that list? Certainly not this freaking drug that the uh, that that whoever have came up with. Um, they're going to call that the breakthrough therapy that doesn't work. Okay. <clears throat> it's supposed to work breakthrough therapies. Um, and that's okay. where psilocybin, that's where basically psilocybin came in. FDA approved them as a breakthrough therapy because guess what? It worked. And I, but you know, we need to make sure that like you say, with uh, as far as a whole plant cannabis and isolates, they have their place. Big pharma is going to be able to create psilocin in the lab. Uh, that's going to be a pill that your psychiatrist is going to be able to give you in his session. But you need shaman need to be able to grow mushrooms, just yes. like just like we need to be able to grow our own plants. Any of this yes. legalization that says no home grow is just not. That's not legalization. And it's limits so if you put. And if you put limits on it, limits aren't legalization either. It's just control. No. It's just another level of control. Absolutely. So, no, yeah. That's true. Wow. That's true. Very We're true. We're on board. <laughs> Decriminalize ball. I'm definitely on that train. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I want you to be able to go out to your garden and pick some leaves. 
Yes. And throw, even throw a butt or two in your smoothie, you know? That's right. In acid form, right? That's, exactly. what That's right. Exactly. Doctor, and, and share your mushrooms. Dr. Wilson King, it is not easy to find a healthcare professional such as yourself with this specialized knowledge. Um, I know you take telehealth within Florida. Um, do you consult across the country and the world? Oh, without question. I have, um, I have patients in California, New York, all over the place, uh, even Spain. Wow. I have a patient that, that traveled there for six months. So we did her visit by Zoom. Great. And it's, it's mainly a consultative practice in which I, we really, um, you know, there's certain testing that's done and that testing is available across the country. Awesome. And I, it's easy. My website is victoryrejuvenationcenter.com. And my email address is drwilsonking at drwilsonking.com. Make it real simple. It's D-R-W-I-L-S-O-N-K-I-N-G, all lowercase, no spaces. And reach out to me. We'll work something out. Uh, whether you have insurance or not, if you have insurance and we use that for your labs and any other testing, that's fine. If you don't, I have a way that it will not cost an arm and a leg uh, for you to get your testing done. And my services are also affordable. Great. Uh, you can make payments. And, and yes, I'm, I work with people all over the world. Awesome. That's so great to hear. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you wanted to impart to our listeners? Oh, wow. Just open up your mind. Understand this is a plant that man did not create, but it's here for us to use. And don't be afraid of it. Just find somebody that can help you and, and, and help you help talk you through it and work with you. And you'll find so many great changes in your life. And the best thing I want to see happen is I want more studies on women, menopausal, perimenopausal, postmenopausal women and cannabis. Sign up, Chella. She's yes, ready. Yes, She's yes. ready. I think a long-term study that takes us from now to the end of our life so that we can you know, check it all out and see, you know, hey, maybe I'm going to avoid Alzheimer's disease because of all these things that I'm doing. Exactly. You know? Exactly. So very good. Well, wow. Yeah. Thank you so much. Such oh, a great conversation. Great. So enlightening on so many levels. Thank you so much, Dr. Wilson oh, King. Thank you. I love, again, I love what you guys are doing. Keep doing it. Whenever you want me to come back, just let me know. Hmm. I really thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you all. Thanks for joining us for Cannabis Helps Dementia. Be sure to download, rate, and review us on your favorite podcasting network. And please share this podcast with anyone you know in relationship with dementia. Do you want to tell your story of how cannabis helps dementia? Drop us a note at coachchella.com or connect with us on the socials. Check out the Society of Cannabis Clinicians website to find real medical professionals familiar with cannabis medicine in your area. And don't forget, download, like, and share what you learn. Cannabis helps dementia. Why don't you get wise, get up and get out Get rid of that frown that's been dragging you down And get up in the air Just pretend that you can fly You'll never know if you 